Welcome to Fundamentally Drained Podcast with your hosts, Father Everett Lees, Father Tom Dahlman, and Justin Dixon. Three Christians exploring Christianity from a perspective other than the fundamental view from which we have become fundamentally drained. We'll begin the conversation and you take it from there. Good morning. Good morning. Morning. Okay, today we are um, talking about an idea that came about, uh, and we kind of titled it Turn the Other Cheek versus Just War. So this kind of uh, originated. Tell us the story of what inspired you to do this, Justin. I'll do that, Tom. Thank you. <laughs> so I was uh, teaching in our children's chapel the other day, and um, and. and if you ever want to be sure about an idea, float it across a room full of children <laughs> because they will call you on it instantly. So it was it was regarding turn the other cheek, and I was explaining how um, an eye for an eye in Old Testament times and what that meant, and um, using Legos. If someone took one of your Legos, someone else comes and takes all of yours. You know, uh, the the uh, Israelites were told, no, 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 no. Just take one Lego, an eye for an eye. And so um, then it moved on to turn the other cheek, which was the gospel reading and um, how we are to just turn the other cheek if someone, you know, hits us on the playground, something to that effect. And so then I moved into kind of started uh, moving away from my script that I had a little bit. And we were talking about various things because we kind of getting a little pushback on turn the other cheek in certain areas. Um, the question is not pushback. And so... I rattled off, if another country attacks us, then if we do not retaliate, then we break the cycle of violence. And that kind of started a little bit of an uproar. <laughs> and everyone said, no, 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 we can't, we have to, we have to fight them. We have to fight back. We can't let them attack us, etc." And so it stumped me. It stone. I could stonewall immediately. Luckily, the bell kind of rang. Uh, it was Saved like by the bell. Time to go back to church, everyone. Gather your things, you know. And uh, and, and so. it's weird that those children, just as like moldable clay, nothing has influenced them in the past. Just by human nature, they came to that conclusion. <laughs> yes, that you have to fight back. Yes, I'm sure they just brought that up on the spot. They've never heard anything like that before <laughs> in their houses, I bet, or anything. <laughs> so wait a minute. So it, 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 you know, um, and as I said, if you want to, I've, I've had the same thing, uh, when, when, um, Everton was working at our church, I was leading children's chapel again. And, and one of the kids goes, how old is God? <laughs> you know, and it just, and I was so not ready for it. So if you want to float an idea, throw it out to a bunch of kids and they'll, uh, they'll challenge you on it. So I went and started talking with Tom. And he said, this is a great idea to talk about just war, turning the other cheek, and how do we as Christians look upon violence, war, and um, where should we stand on this? So I'll throw that out there and let you guys hop in from all these uh, lengthy notes and things that we have in front of us. <laughs> Tom! I don't have any notes. I'm just flying by the seat of my pants <laughs> as does every fundamentally drained podcast <laughs> the the late the, the late night text of what are we talking about tomorrow <laughs> <laughs> all right tom go for it so i think that 
The first question is, when did safety or security become like the highest good of our society? So we come from a church that used to have the cult of the martyrs. That's not putting security as the highest good. I'm not saying that the cult of the martyrs didn't go too far. You know, people were wanting to be martyred. But we came from, I mean, our founder, Jesus, the Lord, you know, said, take up your cross and follow me. Yet every politician, every member of our church, their main concern is, who's going to keep me the safest, you know? And they've got to do whatever they have to do to make sure that happens. You know? And we're fine with that. Right. So even before you get to like a just war pacifism question, like when did we decide that being safe was the greatest good? Right. right. I'm not saying I don't want to be safe. I want to be safe. When you said that, uh, this may take us. I don't want to. I don't want this to take us off subject, but um, the hospitality piece came. What is it? You said the safety became our highest kind of priority, or something like that. And it, right. You know, if you go back into um, uh, Judaism, or, or it's, it was hosp- being hospitable, right, and not being right. kind of fearful. Uh, we thing. would not invite a stranger into our home, whereas their ethic was, you have to do that. That's the greatest good. Right. How do you treat a stranger? There was a um, Tzay, which is a um, ecumenical um, movement that's in France. And, and is that how pe- you say that? <laughs> yeah, I'll say it again. Tzay, Tzay. Yeah, I put it, some redneck on it. Tzay. <laughs> <laughs> and people all around the world come to this place to to pray, um, uh, to worship. And a few years ago, their their leader of the of, of Tizay was was murdered, um, and uh, there you know at, at at the place where they're worshiping, and and the response was was we need to put up um, mm. you know metal detectors. We need to, and the community made the decision to to not do that and said for us to, if we did that, then we would you know our our very identity would change. Um. And so they they sort of rejected the false notion of security. Yeah, um, it's like the, I mean that is the, um, and let's we should have like a bell somewhere to count how many times I use the word narrative or counter narrative today because that's my new thing right now. Um, but it seems like the narrative is based upon how I can protect you. Uh, especially at a political level and things like that, it's and and how you know fear is instilled, but let me protect you, and things like that. And so it's the same kind of thing as you said in the in the <clears throat> what taz tazay tazay. <laughs> well, and and so and so the notion of of security as a theological good um, can only arise in which Christianity is sort of enmeshed with empire. So prior to the Roman Empire adopting Christianity as its religion, um, you know, we lived in, in fear for our lives. Um, we, you know, worshiping um, the God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, proclaiming Jesus as Lord um, was, um, was punishable by death. And, um, and, and so, so the whole idea of, of, 
remaining safe was was an illusion. Um, and so there were specific restrictions on serving in the military. And, right. right. Um, and, and it was only after the empire and Christianity merge that we begin to then say, well, what do we do about this Christian nation who um, enforces its laws through force? And, um, yeah. I'm thinking of that C.S. Lewis quote from Lion, the Witch, in the Wardrobe. The kids are talking to the beaver, and they're talking about Aslan, and they say, He's a lion? I think I had to be very afraid to meet a lion. And they say, Is he safe? And the beaver says, Of course he's not safe, but he's good. Right. So it's like, we've kind of turned this idea of what life is um it always goes back to braveheart you know when he's dying and freedom yeah (laughs) but he says uh everyone dies but not everyone lives you know safety and security are are just illusions of control we're trying to give us and i think part of the reason christianity is dying is not because we're saying some bad things, but because it's just so boring. <laughs> I mean, and I'm not talking about the liturgy. I'm talking about, or the sermons. I'm talking about how we don't challenge our kids or we don't challenge each other. When you're living in a culture where it really meant something to be a Christian and this was a way of life that made you different than the people around you and changed the way you acted and thought, and now... It's all about voting for Trump and being safe. And, you know, I hate to, or the other side. Anyone, right. Yeah. Anyone, period. It's all about the soccer mom, the myth of the soccer mom or something. And we've got the security mom. So we've got to somehow get away from that idea, you know. There, um, Stanley Hauerwas and Will Willimon have this wonderful book called Resident Aliens, of which there is a new 25th anniversary edition. <laughs> uh, but, but anyways, they, they talk about how like the modern theological um, task was how, how do we make the, the Christian story make sense to the modern world? And, um, and, and what Hauerwas and Willimon say is, is that, that that task will always fail because Jesus' story will never make sense in the modern world. And that what the Christian needs to figure out how to do is how to make the world make sense in light of the Jesus story, or your favorite word, the narrative. Mm-hmm. Um, and so we're, we're, we're trying to fit a, a round peg in a square hole uh, when, we're trying to make, um, when we're trying to make the Jesus story fit within the world. And so it's sort of going back to, you know, like what are the foundational texts about violence and peace and in war that we find in scripture and how does it challenge us and change us? Um, and I don't know that we ever, I don't know that we do a really good job of actually reflecting upon those texts. Okay. Wow. That's some great stuff, guys. <laughs> I don't even know where to go with it. Are Christ- you sure? Christianity was, bo- yes, for me, I kind of got a tear in my eye when Tom was talking uh, about Christianity being boring. Hey, he's and, lying, people. He no. is weeping here like a baby. <laughs> <laughs> There's tears all over his face. So, but um, that makes so much sense <laughs> because it is now. 
now Christianity is a platform. Yeah. It okay. is not a movement. It is not something that is uh, freedom. It is it is the security, um, you know, the the security of everything. It's like I, we have to do this, and you have to vote this, and it and that security and fear moves over to the same thing about if I accept Jesus Christ as my Lord and Savior, then I'm not going to go to hell. Now I'm safe. Yeah, exactly. And that's all I have to do is say these words, and I'm out. I'm Netflix and you know, fried chicken and and bacon in my way to. Oh. What was that? That's oh. <laughs> that's our that's our longevity. That is our longevity of life, and that we're living so long that because we're security, we're bubble people. We're the nuclear bubble family, and we don't want to do anything wrong, but. Anyway, so I won't go too far down that road. All right, jumping back into... (laughs) Well, then we've got our Orthodox or Coptic brothers and sisters um, who, you know, in Russia, they lived under communist rule where they're under constant threat or, or there's the tension with... Islam and other parts of the world and it's not always been the safest. I have some Islamic friends that I just love. I'm not trying to be anti um, other faiths. I'm just saying it It wasn't always and hasn't always been the safest and so they kind of look at us just kind of wondering what what is these people's problem? Tom, when you were at Southwest, did you, were there Pakistan, Pakistani students that were no. There. Okay. Not when I was there. When I was there, we always had a student um, who was a priest from Pakistan come and study for um, for a year, and and they live an entirely different world in which, um, you know, safety um, from Islamic terrorism is a real is a real danger. Where their schools um, are destroyed, their hospitals are destroyed, their churches are destroyed, um, and so it's an on it's an ongoing threat, and so. So he he they were kind of confused. Well, why are you also aware of um, weary of of um, Islamic terrorism in your country? Because you don't face it every day. Whereas in his in you know in his country, it's a real um, a real danger. Um, so American Christians, you know, have created I think this sort of false enemy, like um, a false narrative that we're accepting. <laughs> yes, right. Right. Just trying to get it back to narrative, aren't Sorry. you? Sorry. <laughs> no, it's, like I said, it's just. Yeah. We can do a podcast on narrative when if someone, that's what you want. When, great. Thanks, guys. <laughs> Good suggestion, Tom. Um, it's it's the idea. So um, I'm watching um, the untold history of the United States. And Oliver Stone um, did this on Netflix. And. For just to sum it up really quickly, everything that we read in history books, according to him, is not true. <laughs> I mean, uh, so much of it is not, and it's like, but it's the narrative we've been thing we've been told, right? Who writes history? The winners, right? Um, and so, in looking in what the stories he's telling, and you, I, I highly recommend this show. Um, he's saying that you know. 
that it's not all true. It is like there is so much secretive stuff going on and all these wars that happen based on CIA and all these other things going on. And we're like, oh, yeah, America's the greatest because we go and we, you know, give everybody freedom and liberty and all these things. And that's what we do. Is that what we do in war? Really? Is that I mean, and as Christians, are we supporting this? And so we've been to Iraq, and I know this has been discussed time and time again, but, you know, in Iraq, what's going on over there and what's happening, Afghanistan and so many places, and, and I have nowhere, no, I am not a person to speak on this intelligently, but the idea from a Christianity aspect, if some, if a, if a people, okay, are being murdered, genocide, whatever it is, do we as Christians say, yes, let's go to war? Well, that's the just war argument. I, Tell us about the just well, war argument. Please, Tom. I was looking up Romans 13. <clears throat> um, it says, Let every person be subject to the governing authorities, for there is no authority except from God, and those authorities that exist have been instituted by God. Therefore, whoever resists authority resists what God has appointed. Those who resist will incur judgment, for rulers are not a terror to good conduct, but to bad. Do you wish to have no fear of the authority? Then do what is good, and you will receive its approval. For it is God's servant for your good. If you do what is wrong, you should be afraid, for the authority does not bear the sword in vain. Hmm. It is the, a servant of God to execute wrath on the wrongdoer. So what does that mean, Tom? I have no idea. <laughs> <laughs> but he knows where to find it. That's right. And that's impressive. I think... <laughs> Memorize the Bible verse. It'll set you free, buddy. What does it mean? I don't know. Uh, yeah. I think that it's... Uh, <laughs> I think you could... I think that it's hard to reconcile turn the other cheek and Jesus with that. But as Everett said... It's only because we see, we have this tendency to see government because we're Americans, I guess, and we grew up hearing we have a Christian nation, which I would strongly debate that we, we have a tendency to see them as the same thing. And Paul's writing this un, under the authority of a pagan emperor who's killing Christians, who has Paul in jail. Right. And Paul is seeing... Um, think taking the long view and thinking, well, yeah, I might be thrown in jail and I might be martyred, but when I'm in jail, I might lead someone to Christ, so it'll be worth it. And when we read... <laughs> That's so, how we think today, yeah, isn't it? Yeah, and so when God... <laughs> when we read the Romans 13 thing, we're thinking, yeah, the government's the tool of God. God can use Satan as a tool. You know, he said he did that on the cross, it doesn't mean Satan's good. I'm just saying... Are you sure? No, I'm not sure. Uh, but I'm just saying, <laughs> God can't use... I'm not saying God uses Satan, let me rephrase that. I'm saying God can bring good from... Bad things. From bad things, yes. Thank you, Everett. Um, going back to Hauerwas for a moment to your question, he, he talks about how... Um, you know, He's teaching a class, and the question comes up about genocide and what do we do with it. And, and Hauerwas says that, um, he goes, what I would say is, and at this time he was real active in the Methodist church, he's now an Episcopalian, but 
I would go to the Methodist church, and there is a country that needs missionaries. And the, the Methodist church needs to send 25,000 missionaries to that country where that genocide's going on because there are some people who need to hear the gospel. So he said, he said the, the cultural response is, well, let's get involved militarily. Mm. He said the Christian um, image should be um, how, how, how do we serve and proclaim a different way of being? even if the result is, is loss of our life. Right. <laughs> right. And that, and that, so that goes back to what I would say is the original understanding in this regard of, of, of I'm just going to say back then, is that you're giving your life for the community or, you know, I mean, to bless all tribes, right? And yeah. so it's not about your individual safety in this regard. And so when I talk about, and so let, let me introduce that into this where we say talk about turn the other cheek. Well, are we talking about as individuals or as a country? So we have no controlling <laughs> power in our country, us three sitting at this table whatsoever. So what can we do with this? We, I, we, I guess you could say we vote. Okay, so maybe that, anyway. Um, but... So what is turn the other cheek? Can that be applied to a country? Or is that something that we as individuals should use, obey, practice? I think it's an individual thing. but And I don't think we can use the New Testament for, for a just war theory or the idea that the government, this is a collective turn your cheek other than the idea of Christians should turn their cheek. Okay. But um, if, there's no sense in the New Testament of the Christians being in charge. That's something we have to read into it on our own. We could use some Old Testament. It's ironic that, other, well, a lot of folks in the Catholic Church, I guess, advocate collective. This is a collective responsibility, but most of the people who grew up with the idea of, you know, the government being a Christian nation and can go to war and all. I'm thinking of, like, the church I grew up in. They wouldn't have been able to lean or cite the people they need to make that argument like Augustine mm. because they're, they've written all that stuff off, you know. I think you can make the argument that for just war theory, I can't make it because I don't know how we do that. But I would have had trouble, for example, being against World War II if I knew what was happening to the Jew Jewish people. But we also should have gotten involved much sooner than we did before it got to that. But I'll plug Untold Story of the United States again. Uh, but yeah, that's a, and, and, and that's exactly what I would say this conversation leads to i mean if 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 any and all conversations about war don't lead to an, an involvement don't lead somewhere to the holocaust then we kind of haven't done our job but the lack of involvement in that and and um the lack of response to that is that is i mean that's the key that's the question should christians get involved in in war and it's like when this is happening you know um do we meet and pray yes we do, but also we need to be 
hands and feet, right? I mean, mm-hmm. so there's so there's there's interesting. A, I didn't think I'm... there's an idealist response, which would be sort of the pacifist response, mm-hmm. um, which is looking at Jesus's texts um, about peace, um, looking at the visions in Revelation and Isaiah, which point to a, to a future world in which war is no more, right? And would say if that's our vision of where we're going, we need to make it a reality now. And then there's the rational argument, which is the just war argument, which says, okay. You know, that's really great and all, but, you know, war is, is is inevitable. And how do we then talk about what is a just war, a war in which, you know, at least um, the church won't protest? Um, and, and, and so um, Augustine and, and the just war theory has some conditions under which a just war can be waged. What's interesting is, is we've entered into a time in our country's history in which we just don't declare war anymore. We, <laughs> I mean, the last war that we declared right. was the, the Iraq War under George H.W. Bush. Desert Storm. Yeah. Um, you know, um, the response to 9-11, none of that was, was, you know, there was no war declared by right. the government. Um, and so we live in, a, in, in sort of a post-war society in which um, you know, even our own nation can just, you know, take military action against who it wants to. We're under constant warfare. Right. Right. Well, sorry, lost my train of thought. Never mind. Choo-choo. Keep going over it. Was it about narrative? No, it wasn't about So narrative. what's the counter? Ding, narrative in all of this. No, so here's my, here's my thought, and this is, you know, this is going back to my childlike brain of thinking, okay, how do we, as... Uh, a, a conflict, a war, whatever it is, is taking place. What do we do as Christians? Okay, well, um, to throw a counter narrative out there, if you have someone like the uh, <clears throat> country A is, a, is attacking country A's people, a sect of mm-hmm. people, what do you do in that situation as Christians or something like that? You know, and my first thought was like, okay, identify what both sides, country A and country A's people, need and send it both to them. You know that that's it's like this country needs country A needs water and food and so does the people. Send it to both of them. Of course, then you're going to get blamed for helping out country A, <laughs> who is, you know, doing something to country A's people. But I'm thinking, okay, how does the response happen? Um, I guess in reality, though, we originally talked about what happens when we're being attacked. Uh, we're being attacked. What is our response in that regard? Um, but. One thing I know that we have, we can't do as as Christians, we can't dehumanize the people, our country, not us necessarily, but our country is deciding to fight. Like we have an obligation, regardless of of war. I mean, the Jesus and the people in Palestine were occupied by the Romans. They right. were an occupying army right they were they had been you know beaten into submission and jesus is saying if they ask you to go two mm-hmm. one mile go mm-hmm. two you know if they, they ask you for your, sue clo- you for your yeah. cloak give them your tunic also and they're having good relations with the centurion you know mm-hmm. or they're so we can't be involved in that kind of stuff um because the opportunity isn't there. Is that what you're saying? Yeah, I mean, yeah. we, I mean, that's the way... Every, We're not occupied. Or are we? <laughs> yeah, well, yeah. 
every but every war hap when every war happens, you've got like in World War Two, you've got pictures of the Japanese in political cartoons where they don't look human, or the Vietnamese, mm. or we do the same now with um, Islamic folks. Like all of Islam is responsible for right. I would hate it. Um, use this term this term earlier, and I'm not picking on you ever a bit. Like I would be furious. There have been lots of terrorists who were Christians in the past, and I would hate it if we all the Islamic political leaders started talking about radical Christian terrorism or Christian mm. terrorism. I'd be right. like, wait a minute, that's not Christian. <laughs> but I understand that's a hugely huge political issue right now. But I feel like we have to try to be above that as much as we can. I don't know how we do it, but. I, like anything else, it starts at a granular level. It's a software yeah. term for you, but it starts with the individual. And you change world. You change worlds by changing someone's world, which is right in front of them. And so the turn the other cheek, I think, you know, starts at an individual level. Uh, in Jesus for President, Shane Claiborne has great ta- uh, thoughts on turn the other cheek. I haven't worked this one out. Um, but he says, turn the other cheek in the um, Hebrew society, uh, I forget which, uh, which era this happens in, but um, you cannot hit someone in public with your left hand or you're banished for 10 days. So when someone is, strikes you on, as Jesus says, the right cheek, that is a backhand slap with their right hand. Turn the other cheek, and as Claiborne puts it, makes them look you in the eye to hit you on your left cheek with their right hand. And so that was the subversiveness of that teaching. Mm-hmm. The same way with the tunic and the cloak and taking it, um, it, it uh, nakedness is, you know, not for, I won't say forbidden, but taboo in that society. So if someone sues you and all you have is a cloak, you're poor and tunic, strip butt neck and give it to them because the fault will fall and the shame on the person who made you naked, not the person who is naked. Mm-hmm. And just great ideas and thoughts about those different things um, saying, give it to them, let them have it, whatever it is. And I think of the centurion now, um, pick the other, pick an individual from the other side. And the other side in our country right now is, is Democrat or Republican, Trump or Hillary, whatever mm-hmm. it is. Walk a mile, an extra mile with them. Right. And sit and talk with them and, and begin a conversation. And that's what Claiborne said, too, is like the idea is that when you're ready to walk the second mile, is that centurion, is he going to say, huh, do I continue this relationship with this person? And it's their decision. The power and the you know decision lies with that centurion and whether he'll do it or not, because it's against his law to make you do it for two miles. You know, so and that's kind of where the. Uh, subversiveness or, or came from in that, those stories. So, um, okay. That's a good way. That's a good word to end it on. What's that? What you just said. Oh, thanks, buddy. So, what are you reading in under two minutes? <laughs> uh, I'm reading a book by this professor at West Point called Jesus, or not Jesus. <laughs> Napoleon, Napoleon and Washington, and it's a book about um, their similarities. They're both Enlightenment leaders, and and pointing out all the similarities between hmm. Washington and 
Napoleon and then differences. It's pretty interesting. You're just on that whole presidency and well historical president. I started like 20 years ago and I'm really yeah nice back when I was really into all that stuff and you learn I feel like you learn a lot when you read biographies because you I want to hear what you have to say third mention of that Oliver Stone then I want you to watch it and tell me what you think because I look yeah. at it and go what in the world what's going on <laughs> Everett what are you reading I am reading Resident <laughs> Aliens, the expanded 25th anniversary edition. <laughs> Again. By right? Stanley Harawas and Will Willimon. Um, and uh, Gilead by Marilyn Roberts- Robertson. Is that a fictional novel? It is a fictional novel. Whoa. I thought I should read some fiction. I think I need to take a break and jump into something um, lately. I'm, uh, I am reading Surprised by Hope. I don't know if I, it was the same thing we were re- reading the last podcast. Best but. choice you ever made. Man, it is a roller coaster and blows self. your mind. Huh? Blows your mind. It does blow. It does, but it confuses my mind <laughs> too. Um, but the salvation, I don't think he works in chapters. Whatever he works in, there's a one of them on salvation, and it is just spectacular. It's like the entire chapter is outlined, right? You know, in the Kindle reader, you can highlight everything. So, all right. Uh, you know, I feel like a reminder is in place in order here that. Our goal is to start conversations, to begin the conversations, I think it may say in our title, and allow you to take it from there. And I think that's what we did with the Turn the Other Cheek and Just War, because I don't know what came out of the conversation today, um, but hopefully in my notes I'll go back and reflect on that. But Whatever uh, it is, I'm sure we resolve the issue. <laughs> that's right. <laughs> that is definitely never done here. Thanks for spending time with us today. May the peace of the Lord be always with you. Thanks for joining us today. You can find us on Twitter and Facebook at at FunDrainPod. We'd love to hear your comments on our episodes and also suggest future episode topics. Also, if you enjoy what we're doing, go on to iTunes and give us a review, please. Thanks a lot.